So Lord, we just commit Derek to you, pray for your hand of healing upon him as he has this operation, pray that it'll go well, and pray that you'll help him to help the doctors to treat him, and that you will cause him to be healed from this problem that he's had. And we pray for just you stretch forth your hand to heal and that you will help him in his need at this time. And we do pray also for Marilyn and for Helen right now in Israel. Keep them safe and bring them safely home. Pray that they'll be able to get the flights on Tuesday and that your will be done in that situation also. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now I'm sure you're all aware what's happening in the world, and we've been very grieved to hear what's happened in Israel, terrible events which have taken place uh, as Israel finds itself at war with Hamas uh, after this surprise attack from Gaza. Interestingly, it happened on the Shabbat, the last day of of Sukkot. Jewish people were having a holiday, actually, in the synagogues, and they heard this terrible news. And it was a reminder that uh, 50 years ago, on Yom Kippur, uh, Israel was again attacked by Syria and Egypt without warning. And again, they found themselves facing a foe which sought to wipe them out. And with the help of God, and on that occasion actually with help from America in particular, they managed to overcome. Pray that this time too, they may overcome. I got a report on what's happening right now, so I'll just read out some of the things which are happening, which we can also pray about. It says, the Israeli death toll from the surprise Hamas attack launched yesterday his morning has reached over 600, including 240, mostly young people, who were massacred at a nature party, some kind of a concert, I think, in the desert. So young people, probably from secular Tel Aviv, don't know but they were attacked by Hamas and they got through. Around 2,048 Israelis are injured, including at least 20 in a critical condition, at least 330 severely wounded. IDF has killed over 400 terrorists and retaken some sites infiltrated by terrorists, remains in locked in gun battles with Hamas terrorists in areas towards the south. Rocket fire from Gaza into Israel continues with total launch since yesterday morning, now believed to be exceeding 4,000. This morning, four Israelis were injured, one critically when a rocket hit Sidorot. So there's been a great number of rockets coming. They've hit as far as Tel Aviv, Beersheba, and seen pictures on the television of houses burned and people suffering as a result. Uh, Israel continues to attack terrorist targets in the Gaza Strip. And most heartbreaking of all, there have been a number of people kidnapped by Hamas. According to reports here, it could be up to 100. Uh, Some say there are several dozen. So uh, those were people who were kidnapped and taken over into Gaza right now. And you can't imagine what they're facing and the terror which they must be feeling. Um, IDF has begun evacuating citizens from southern border towns. Um, In the north this morning, mortar shells were launched at an Israeli military site in the Mount Dov area near the Lebanon, on the Lebanon border. Israel responded with artillery fire towards the area of the launches. 
IDF has also launched a drone strike against the Hezbollah position in just over the line in Lebanon. Area of some concern, if you understand the situation there. And there have been uh, troop reinforcements on the northern border, as well as troop reinforcements gathering on the Gaza with a view to possibly going into Gaza. At the moment, they haven't decided to do that. I think that they will hold back as much as they can because once they go into Gaza, it opens up a whole new can of worms, if you like. So pray that God will overrule in that. Uh, also a report that two Israelis and their Egyptian tour guide were shot dead in the Egyptian city of Alexandria. So they're beginning to hit Israelis outside. Uh, we also heard that there was a group which came to a cafe in North London, Jewish cafe, and started manifesting themselves and shouting from Hamas <coughs> yesterday evening. And you can expect that if this goes on, you're going to see attacks on the Jewish community in the neighborhood around here. So another thing which we need to pray about. So this situation, a major disaster for Israel and something which we need to pray for, pray that God can help and overrule and help the Jewish people at this time. And the potential for escalation is a really big problem if it brings in Hezbollah brings in other terrorist groups and Israel faces uh, war on all sides. So, very dangerous situation. Uh, I produced this magazine which has came out last week. Unfortunately, it's already out of date. It says, peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. It looks like peace is not going to happen. Uh, we'll still be putting it out and I'm going to put an insert in it to just give some updated information uh, the peace is not actually over, it could still happen, but there is obviously a real problem in that area. So let's just uh, consider some of these things. I'm going to consider also some of these things in the light of the Bible. Now I did speak about this this morning. I'm going to summarise most of what I said this morning and then get on to some of the things I didn't say this morning. So I will go through everything I said this morning, but just most of it briefly. If you want the whole story, you'll have to listen in to the talk which I gave in the morning. So on the 22nd of September, Israeli President, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu went to the UN and he gave a speech which was actually quite inspiring in a way. Uh, he spoke about possibility of a blessing and a curse. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, which says, Behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods you have not known. And he said that the blessing would come in the form of peace, and he hoped that that was going to come, and he mentioned all the things which were offered in the uh, proposed Saudi deal, which includes that Israel makes a peace with Saudi Arabia, including other parts of the Arabian Peninsula, uh, Lebanon, uh, not Lebanon, uh, Jordan, Egypt already at peace with Israel, and he said that this could bring about a whole peace agreement in the whole of the Middle East. Uh, this peace block would be on the other side to the war block, if you like, from Iran, focusing on Hezbollah, on forces in Syria, and so on. So it was quite an inspiring vision and included not just the countries roundabout, included a whole program which would bring in uh, 
transport links, communication links across Arabia through to Israel, going right through to India on one side, through to Europe on the other side. So it made it a not just a treaty involving Israel and the Palestinians, but in holding the whole of the Middle East and wider. Of course, many people saw that as a possible fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the passage in Daniel chapter 9, the covenant which Israel make in the last days. We'll come on to that in a moment. But it looks like that's certainly on hold for the moment because we now have a war situation. Netanyahu actually mentioned this. He said that he had two visions, one for peace, said that Israel and Saudi Arabia make a historic transformational peace treaty. Many Arab and Muslim states follow suit. Iran and the Palestinians choose peace instead of terrorism and nuclear war. The world cooperates to ensure that artificial intelligence brings dramatic new blessings of peace and prosperity to all of mankind. Then he gave another vision. He said the vision of the curse of war. He said Iran and the Palestinians choose war instead of peace. The world does nothing to stop the Iranian regime from acquiring nuclear weapons and a terrible war erupts in the Middle East. Artificial intelligence replaces humanity with machines, jobs are decimated, and we head towards a catastrophic war. Two possibilities. Obviously, that is real possibilities, aren't they? Unfortunately, it looks like the option two has increased mightily in the last 48 hours. And we could be on the brink of terrible events in the Middle East, which could spread not just to the Middle East, but even around the world. We need to be prepared for this because the Bible does say there's going to be a time of trouble in the last days. Distress of nations in perplexity, Jesus spoke about. And we see not just Israel, we see Russia, Ukraine, possibility even of nuclear exchanges taking place there. We see the brutality and the wickedness of the Russian regime and what it's done there. We see the brutality and the wickedness of Iran towards its own people and its activities in the Middle East. We see also China, which is threatening Taiwan. North Korea threatening its neighbors with nuclear weapons. And we see even the Taliban wanting to get involved in this crisis. Meanwhile, you see a huge debt crisis, which is threatening the economy of the United States. I don't know if you follow what's happened there, the thing which happened with the Speaker of the House of Representatives, it's all about the debt crisis. Debt crisis in America is phenomenal. We've got a debt crisis too, but it's somewhere around $2 trillion no, $33 trillion in debt, gone up $2 trillion in the last six months. And there's no end in sight for it. And it could mean the collapse of the American economy. If that happens, then the West goes down. You also have China in trouble in its economy. You have Russia in trouble with its economy. The whole world system, very much unstable. So if you look around at these things, you see the world in a state of some confusion. And in fact, in the Bible, it says there are going to be perilous times in the last days. We're on the way to either the rapture of the church or the tribulation. Which one comes first is a question we've looked about. But these things tie in with what the Bible says is going to happen. And certainly, if you understand this, the only hope you've got is Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. He's the one who has come and he's coming back again. He said about these things happening. Other parts of the Bible prophecies speak about these things happening, particularly what's happening in the Middle East. Now, the Hamas, the Hamas leader actually referred to what's taking place here as the Al-Aqsa flood. He said what he's doing is in defense of Al-Aqsa. So what's Al-Aqsa? Let's just go back a bit. 
That's Al-Aqsa, especially that bit. It's the mosque which is on the Temple Mount area. If you look at what's happening today, the focus of the problem actually is Jerusalem and who controls this area up here. You've got the Western Wall where Jewish people pray. Up above you've got the Al-Aqsa Mosque, Dome of the Rock, where Muslims pray. Where the Dome of the Rock and the, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque stand is where the temple used to stand in the days of uh, First Temple and also the Second Temple. That temple was destroyed in the year 70 after the Jewish revolt and it became the Muslim sanctuary in around 632. Right now, if you're Jewish, you can go up here just through this gate on selected occasions. You can't go up any time. Also, if you're Christian, if you're a Muslim, you can go up at any time. But if you go up there and you pray and you're not a Muslim, then they'll come down and you and stop you. One of the things which Jewish people want to do is be able to pray on the Temple Mount. And particularly in the last week, it's the Feast of Sukkot, and Jewish people have gone up there with the idea that they should pray there. If they bring out anything like a lulav or a tefillin or anything, they'll be stopped or a prayer book. So it's been an issue. And Hamas has put out a statement saying that the Jews are attacking, are taking over our holy place. Forgetting, of course, that it was a Jewish holy place long before <coughs> it is the Muslim place. They say that Muhammad ascended to heaven from this place uh, and he uh, went up to heaven and he got some instructions. Uh, I think the date was, I can't remember the date actually, but it is problematic because Muhammad died, according to Muslims, in 632 and this mosque was built at least 40 or more years after that. So he went up after he died, if he ever existed. But that's another question. The whole question is that this is a story they've made up which makes this the third holiest place for Islam. And nobody dares to touch it. And if you look at the problem which is facing Israel, this is the heart of the issue. Who controls the Temple Mount? That's what Hamas have been talking about. Going to the Bible, you find that the Bible says that in the last days, Jerusalem is going to be a burdensome stone burdening all nations. Zechariah 12, 2 and 3. It's exactly what you've got now. Jerusalem is the heart of the conflict. And all nations are involved in it somehow. United Nations, Jews, Christians, Muslims, everybody has their point to say about what takes place in this place here. America, United Nations, European Union, Russia, they've all got their word to say about this. Interestingly, it's the burdensome stone burdening all nations. And this is what they say is the reason why they launched this attack. Now, I think that's fraudulent, actually, but, I mean, they give that as an excuse. They call it the Alexa Flood. Uh, why a flood? Well, we might come into that in a moment. But because of this, they have attacked Israel and caused this huge crisis which began yesterday. And it's a massive crisis for Israel. I think we can't underestimate it. If you're an Israeli today, you're living in Israel, you are in great fear because of what's taking place. Uh, and if you lost loved ones or if you lost your property, then you'll be even more distressed. Israel was actually caught off guard. There was a failure of intelligence. And this is the question, who, why didn't they react? Israel's got the best intelligence in the world. Uh, the Gaza border has got cameras on it, it's got armies patrolling it. Yet somehow they're able to get away with this without anybody knowing about it. It's strange. Very strange. 
Some people called it the 9-11 moment. And the question about who was to blame. If it was some fault in the government, then it could cause the fall of the government. But it's been a huge crisis for them. It's a massive blow to Israel's security. And people in Israel today are afraid of being overwhelmed by Islamic revolutionary forces led by Iran. Could bring the end of the Israeli-Palestinian, Israeli-Saudi peace deal, or it could actually bring it on. That's not, neither is actually certain, but we can say that it's certainly making it difficult at the present time. And it's got a potential for huge destruction in both Israel and in Gaza. And if Lebanon joins in, it'll bring about even greater destruction if Hezbollah joins in. You've also got the problem of unrest in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, and Jerusalem, which could plunge the whole area into war. So it's a very serious situation. That's why I'm telling you this. I'm not telling you this to make you scared or anything, but this is a situation which has a potential for huge uh, destruction. Could also spill over here. As I've said, Hamas and their supporters have been harassing Jews in this part of London already. If this goes on, it's going to get worse. And we as believers in this area should be standing by the Jewish people and ready to stand with them when that happens. So has it got anything to do with the Bible? Well, I think it has. And I'm going to just run through what I said this morning briefly. I'm not going to give you the whole spiel because that would take too long. Um, but I'm going to, if you want to hear the whole thing, then you have to listen this morning. There are a number of prophecies which are of relevance to this. One of them is Psalm 83. Psalm 83, it says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. Those who hate you have lifted up their head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people. They've consulted together against your sheltered ones. They've said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. If you look it up, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you look up the countries which are involved, the people who are involved, uh, they're, all country, they're all nations or peoples who surround Israel. It includes Philistia, the Palestinians, it includes inhabitants of Tyre, that's Lebanon, and includes countries which are around on the borders of Israel. What do these people say? They say, let us come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. So these people who are coming against Israel have got an agenda. Their agenda is to cut off Israel from being a nation so its name is remembered no more. In other words, to replace the state of Israel with a state of their own, which they will call Palestine. And their aim is not just to have a Palestinian state alongside Israel, as the nations are looking for right now, and according to the Oslo Accords, that's what they're supposed to be working for, is to have a Palestinian state which will replace Israel. And if you look at what's happening within the Palestinian movement itself, you've got a division actually between those who are, according to ostensibly, willing to have a Palestinian state alongside Israel, which is the more moderate wing, and those who just say, forget about the Oslo Accords, forget about the two-state solution, we want to completely replace Israel and destroy Israel and have a Palestinian state with no Jews and no Israel. That's a mess. So, goes on in Psalm 83, it says, Make their nobles like Oreb and Ze'ev, yes, make their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. So here you've got a reference to two people called Zeba and Zalmunna. You'll find reference to them in the book of Judges, chapter 8, 
in the story of Gideon, who were leading the forces which came against Israel from Midian, from the east at that time, and who were defeated by Gideon. And Gideon brought these two men together, and he actually executed them. And it says, so Gideon arose and killed Zebra and Zalmunna, took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Well, for crescent ornaments in the Hebrew is saharonim. I looked it up, it does mean crescent ornaments. So is that significant or interesting? Uh, Zebra and Zalmunna came and they said, let's take the pastures of God for our possession. In other words, something which God has given to one people and let's take it for ourselves. If you look in the Bible, it says that God made a covenant with Israel, with the Jewish people, way back in the time of Abraham. And he gave to them two sides of the covenant. One, that he gave them the title deeds of ownership of the promised land in Genesis 15. And he gave to Abraham a multitude of descendants, as many as the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore, which has happened. Uh, God also said that God would bless the people in the land if they kept his commandments, but if they disobeyed, then there was a possibility that they would come under judgment and even be removed from the land. But even if they're removed from the land, at some point they're going to go back to the land of Israel because that's part of God's covenant. In our generation, we've seen the miracle, actually, of the restoration of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. A unique event which took place, 1948, birth of the state of Israel, and the events which followed it, which led to Israel taking possession of Jerusalem in 1967, and what we have now as the state of Israel. It's not an accident, it's something which God planned, and it's part of God's fulfillment. So God said, I've given the land to this group of people. Now, some people say, well, that's unfair. Why should God give this land to one group of people? Well, that's up to God. Uh, God has made a covenant, and God's going to keep his word. Let's not ask the question why. Let's just see what the Bible says. Now, certain people are going to say, no, we don't accept this. We want this land for ourselves. Now, when you come to Islam, you find that Islam has another worldview. According to the Islamic worldview, the world is divided into two halves, one which they call the Dar al-Islam, which means the house of Islam, the other which they call the house, the Dar al-Hab, which means the house of the enemy. In the house of Islam, then the Muslims are going to rule over that part of the world. So places like Saudi Arabia are obviously the house of Islam. But Egypt and other countries in the Middle East are also part of the house of Islam. In the Dar al-Islam, the house of Islam, then Muslims rule According to classic Islamic theology, Jews and Christians are allowed to have their communities. They're called dhimmi peoples who are subject to the Muslims, but they mustn't rule over the Muslims. So Jews and Christians can exist within a Muslim society, but they can't rule over Muslims in the Dar al-Islam. When you come to the Dar al-Hab, the house of the enemy, it's the other way around. Muslims may be a minority in that part, but other people, including Jews and Christians, or Christians in particular, are going to rule over them. The goal of the jihad, by the way, is to turn the Dar al-Hab into the Dar al-Islam so that everywhere becomes Islamic. But one of the things which they say is that if a country has been Islamic and it stops being Islamic, it goes into the hands of somebody else, then you're under an obligation to turn it back to being Islamic. So as far as they're concerned, what they call Palestine has been Islamic since about the year 632, with a brief crusader bit in the middle of it. Then, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the British come in, and then Israel comes in. So you now have Jews ruling over Muslim areas. So dhimmis are ruling over Muslims. 
that goes against the history, that goes against the Muslim idea of the march of history. So what are they going to do about it? They've got to try to change it. So if you understand that as a point, it doesn't matter how many treaties, how many things they make, ultimately their goal is to turn the Jewish state of Israel into part of the Islamic world. Particularly when Jews start ruling over Jerusalem, which as far as they're concerned is the third holiest place of Islam. So this verse here is very interesting. Let's take, make the, the house, let's make, take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. So these people are saying that. Now going back to in, in Judges, these guys, Zebra and Zamuna, they come against Israel, Gideon defeats them, then he kills them and he takes the crescent elements off the neck of their camels. Funny little detail that. Not all, prophet, not all versions actually translate it crescent ornaments, but I looked it up. The Hebrew word saharonim means crescent, means a crescent ornament. So what's the significance of a crescent ornament? Is it just a bit of jewelry or is it some kind of dedication to a god? What was the god of the ancient world before Islam? They worshiped the moon god. What do they actually call the moon god? Some of them actually called it Allah. And Muhammad said he called Allah the true god, so he made the moon god into the god of Islam. Kind of interesting. <laughs> so that just says to me that those who follow the moon god, which is now Islam, they're going to say, let's take, the, let's take the place which belongs to the true God, our God, take it away from the Jews and give it to the Muslims. That's what's the spirit behind this Psalm in Psalm 83. Now Psalm 83 could be said to speak about a general condition of the surrounding countries wanting to remove Israel. Or it could be speaking about a specific war which will come. It is a specific war which will come. Some say that this is, we're on the way to that. Because if, if the Gaza thing spreads to Lebanon, then other countries around about get involved, you could see a general conflagration which would lead to the fulfillment of Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, it says that God's going to intervene and save Israel from this conflict. Now, it's a bit of a debated one, that one, but it's interesting. Some people are saying this is what we're on the way for. We also mentioned Daniel 9. I was saying that before. Daniel 9, verse 26 Daniel 9.26 gives you one of the clearest prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. It says Messiah is going to be cut off not for himself, he's going to die a violent death, but not for his own sins, for the sins of others. This is going to happen sometime before the people of the Prince to come destroys the city and the sanctuary. The city and the sanctuary is Jerusalem, and the sanctuary is the temple. So according to this prophecy, the Messiah is going to come before the second temple, which the prophecy is actually dealing with, is destroyed. Uh, that happened in the year 70. Can you think of someone who came as the Messiah, who was cut off, died a violent death, not for his own sins, for the sins of others, some 40 years before the destruction of the second temple? Any ideas who that might be? Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. One of the clearest prophecies which can only have been fulfilled by Jesus. It says then the people of the prince to come are going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. So someone's going to come and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and they're described as the people of the prince to come. The question is, who is the prince to come? Now, if you look through Daniel, he has a number of prophecies which deal with the figure who we call the Antichrist or the anti-Messiah, uh, the bad guy who comes at the end of days, makes some kind of a deal, some kind of a treaty with Israel in the last days, which he breaks halfway through. 
And if you go to Daniel 9.27, that's exactly what happens. He, the prince to come, will make a covenant with many for one week. One week is seven years, according to this prophecy. So someone's going to come and make a covenant with Israel. He's going to break halfway through. Halfway through, he's going to break the covenant. He's going to put up an abomination of desolation in the holy place, according to Matthew 24. Uh, and he's going to have unleash a time of judgment, which will end up with what it says here, the consummation that which is determined is poured out on the desolate or on the desolator. So the end of it is going to be God intervening in some way to destroy or to bring an end to this antichrist system. Now, if that's the case, then somewhere along the program in the last days is going to be a peace agreement or some kind of covenant with Israel. Is it this one? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, has this war in Gaza scuppered it? Maybe, but maybe not. Sometimes the prophecy, you've just got to wait and see. But bear in mind that it says that these things are going to happen. It could be that out of this there comes then an agreement uh, which Israel is willing to make in order to bring peace and safety. Turns out actually that this will be a deception. It speaks about in Isaiah 28 about scornful men who make a covenant with death and it turns out to be made with lies and refuge and under falsehood we've hidden ourselves. So there's an element of de deception in this peace treaty which those who believe in Jesus are going to reject but it will lead to a time of trouble and the covenant will be broken and the Lord will step in to end it all. Going through this quickly now because I want to get on to the rest. Come on to Ezekiel 38. You have another prophecy which has not yet been fulfilled. Ezekiel chapter 38 speaks about a great power coming down from the north. It speaks about Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of, Mesh, Mesh, of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. So who's this? Uh, prince of Rosh, or Nisi Rosh, comes down from the uttermost parts of the north, leads an alliance of countries, which include Persia, Ethiopia, which is Cush in Hebrew, Libya, which is put in Hebrew, and Tagama and Goma. Now, we don't know where those people, places are. We do know where Persia is. It's Iran uh, today. Tagama is probably Turkey. Uh, Kush could be Libya. Uh, no, Kush could be Sudan, sorry. Put is Libya. Uh, those countries seem to have nothing to do with it, but at the moment time, Russia is actually involved in those countries, so maybe they'll recruit some forces from that. Uh, Question is, who is the leader of this? Is it the Prince of Rosh? Is it Russia? Some say it's not, it's Turkey, but it does say that this one comes down from the uttermost parts of the north. Now, there are some reasons why people say it couldn't be Russia, because Russia's now involved in a big war in Ukraine. Their forces are being decimated. They've got a great problem with their army. Would Russia want to get involved in a war straight away? Possibly not. Also, it does say that when this army comes against Israel, they would come at a time when they're back in the, mount, the, the people are back in the mountains of Israel in the latter days, it says, specifically in the latter days, people restored to the mountains of Israel, and it says they're dwelling safely. Hebrew word actually is betach, with security. Now, we'd say, well, Israel is not dwelling safely today, so it can't be today. Uh, could be after they make a peace treaty that there is some sort of security. 
So maybe this one is a little bit down the line. We don't know. But it's going to happen at some point. At some point there's going to be this war which comes from the north. And again, God's going to intervene supernaturally and overwhelm it. Also, it says that when this happens, there are going to be some people who are going to protest against it. They're going to say, have you come to take a spoil? They're described as Sheba and Dedan and Tarshish and the young lions thereof. So where's that? Sheba and Dedan is certainly the Arabian Peninsula. So if there is going to be a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia, that may be part of it, that Saudi Arabia does make a peace agreement with Israel. And there is generally a peace, and they're coming to protest against Russia, Persia, Iran, and these countries coming down against Israel. Remember that Persia, Iran is the major attack, uh, attack on Israel today. And so that also is interesting. So you have Russia, Persia, Iran coming against Israel. Persia is under the hands of this extreme Islamic movement, so they have a hatred of Israel, their desire to remove Israel from the map. God says when this happens, he's going to destroy this army and save Israel from destruction. What about the young lions of Tarshish? Well, Tarshish, from the Bible's point of view, is as far west as you can go from Israel. Some are associated with Spain or countries further to the west. Go, as far west, go to the far west from Israel, you get to the United States, you get to Western Europe, and possibly the NATO alliance, which would then be opposing this move from Russia, but actually not doing anything because God actually saves them. Now, the war of Gog and Magog has never happened in history. Nothing like it's ever happened. The Bible says it's going to happen in the last days. It hasn't happened yet. Could it be on the way? That's the question. Okay, all that I said this morning. So I've gone through it quickly, and I'm going to try and move on to what I didn't say this morning. Uh, now, many people say that this is leading up to the time which we call the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, including me. So let's have a look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Uh, Jeremiah 30 is a very interesting scripture. It says, the word of the Lord that came, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel saying, write in the book for yourself all the words that I've spoken to you. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'll bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. Okay, so you begin with a statement that Israel is going to be scattered to the nations and the cause to return. It's about the return of the Jewish people in the last days. Uh, actually, when you go to the end of this chapter, in chapter, verse 24 of chapter 30, it says, Be'acharit hayamim, in the latter days you will understand it or consider it. So Jeremiah puts this prophecy as something which happens in the latter days. Then it says, These are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah, Thus says the Lord, we've heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether ever a man is in neighbour with child. So why do we see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labour and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But he should be saved from it, for out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will break his yoke from your neck and burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore do not be afraid, my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. 
Though I make full end of all nations where I've scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. That passage, God says, I'm going to save you, Israel. So no matter what troubles are coming against you, Israel, God is going to save you. God has a plan for Israel. It's not the end. And that's a hopeful message which we have to give to the Jewish people. Nevertheless, there is a negative side to this because it speaks about a time of trouble, time when there'll be a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Even speaks about a man being in labor. Every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, all faces turn pale. Uh, the labor pains, uh, the idea of labor pains is something which you have right through the scriptures referring to the end times. Said this before, that when a woman goes into labor, she has a series of shocks, contractions, which become more and more intense the nearer you get to the birth of the child. That's what's going to happen in the last days. You have a series of shocks which will become more and more intense the nearer you get to the birth of the child. Then when the child is born, if it's a healthy child and a wanted child, the pain which has been before will be forgotten for the joy that a child has come into the world. Parallel there with the last days. It's going to be a series of shocks, of, of events which will become more and more intense the nearer you get to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, once the process has begun, it can't be reversed. That's another point about contractions. Once it begins, it can't be reversed. It's going to come to the end point, which will be the birth of the child. So when the birth of the child comes, in this case, the second coming of Jesus, which will be a joyful event, the pain will be forgotten by those who are believers as we enter into the time of the <coughs> millennium and the reign of the Messiah. But it says it's going to be a time of trial, a time of trouble. Also speaks about people looking for peace but not finding peace. Go to Thessalonians, it says when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. They'll be saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. So be looking for peace, but there's no peace because the only peace which will really come is through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Then he says, uh, I will break his yoke from your neck and burst. Oh, he speaks about a time of trouble. He said it'll be a time of trouble so that none is like it. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. If you look through the scriptures, you'll find that the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be a time of unique trouble. Jesus said it'll be a time of great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world, no, nor ever shall be. And if God didn't intervene, then no flesh would be saved. In other words, life would come to an end. So the Bible says it's going to be a time of unique trouble. Daniel also 12 speaks about a time of unique trouble at the end of days. So the time of trouble at the end of days is something which is hinted at here in Jeremiah and also in other scriptures. But notice he says also that there's going to be a time when foreigners will no more enslave them. They will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Our question, does it actually mean that King David is going to come back and reign? Some people actually say it is, actually. David will come back and rule over, restore Jerusalem. Possible, because the saints are going to raise. But also, I think that more importantly, David, their king, speaks of David, Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, son of David. They're going to serve the Messianic king who is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. He's going to come again this time, not as a suffering servant, Sheikh ben Yosef, the suffering servant like Joseph, he's going to come this time like the reigning king, King David, as the Messiah, son of David. Which is speaking about the time after Jesus returns, according to the scriptures, when he's going to reign from Jerusalem in what we call the Messianic kingdom 
or the millennium. What's happening in Israel today is shaping up for this to happen. That's why it's important. That's why there's all the fuss over Jerusalem. That's why there's all this fuss over the Jewish people being back in the land. Because Satan actually knows that if he can push the Jews out of Israel and out of Jerusalem, then he can actually stop Jesus from coming back. That's why he can't. That's why you're going to keep the Jewish people there despite all the problems which are coming to pass. Okay, he goes on and he says, I'll make a full end of all nations where I've scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. People have tried to make an end to the Jewish people, particularly Hitler, but it haven't succeeded. And God says he's not going to allow anyone to make an end of the Jewish people because he's going to preserve them as a people right up until the time of the end. But he does say, I will correct you in justice, will not let you go altogether unpunished. So there's something which God wants to correct in the house of Israel. Something they've got wrong, which he wants to put right so that he can then bless them. You go back to what I said in the beginning about Netanyahu and the blessing and the curse. If you follow through the blessing and the curse, it says that God's going to bless the people if they're in a right relationship with him and are keeping the Torah. We don't live in the time of the Torah now. We live in the time of the Messiah when God is putting people right by the Holy Spirit through faith in Yeshua. So the way in which God wants to bless the Jewish people is to bring them to faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And we talk about this subject, we find that Jewish people are very pleased when they find out that we support them in the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. When we tell them also that they need to believe in Jesus, they're not so pleased. But that is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the way in which God's going to bless the people of Israel actually is by correcting some mistake, historic mistake, which has been made by the leadership of the Jewish people going right back to the time of Yeshua, the Messiah. So Yeshua, the Messiah, is the Messiah. He's the one who fulfilled the prophecies of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, which I've already shown you. He's the only one who can fulfill those prophecies. He's the only one who will fulfill them. There's nobody else coming as Messiah to fulfill those prophecies, only Yeshua. The same, prophet, the same Messiah, Jesus, is going to come back a second time, this time not to suffer and to die, but this time to judge the world in righteousness. What you're seeing happening today and all these things I speak about concerning prophecy is the signs of the second coming of Jesus. And they're all coming to pass, especially the return of the Jews to Israel and the battle over Jerusalem and the things which are taking place now. They're not accidents, they're fulfillment of Bible prophecy. A whole lot of other things which I won't go into at this present time, but they're all happening now. Now Israel is going to be saved, it says. They're going to serve David their king, the Messiah, and all this is going to happen somehow through Yeshua, through Jesus. And God's purpose is to save Israel. Paul wrote in Romans 10, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. Romans 11 speaks about all Israel being saved. How are they going to be saved? Through keeping the Torah? No. Through repentance and faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And all this crisis which is coming on the world is not just about Israel being in the land, it's also about Israel coming to faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Now there's another scripture we're going to look at which actually makes this very clear. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, it says in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Clapping in this day that I shall make Jerusalem a very heavy stone or a burdensome stone for all people, 
All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Now here you have a remarkable prophecy in Zechariah which says that there's going to come a time in the last days before the return of the Messiah in which Jerusalem is going to be a burdensome stone for all nations. All nations are going to be involved in some way in this city of Jerusalem, relatively small city in relation to London, New York, Moscow, uh, on the top of the hills in Judea, not on a river, not a port, not a great commercial center, but from God's point of view, the apple of his eye, the center of the earth. And he says that there's gonna be a battle over this place, Jerusalem. And what do you see today? You see all the nations of the earth have something to say about Jerusalem, especially the United Nations. They pass more resolutions on Jerusalem than anything else in the world. You have every country which has got its opinion on who should rule Jerusalem. Should it be under Israeli control, which the Jews, Jewish people want? Should it be divided between Israel and Palestine? Should it be under international control? That's what the UN proposed in the beginning. It's the contentious issue. And it says that the last battle is going to be over Jerusalem, who rules Jerusalem. Before that happens, Zechariah 12, 10 is going to happen. Zechariah 12, 10, it says, I'll pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Interesting question. Can you think of anybody who could be looked at sometime now who came in the past who has been pierced, who's died by some method which caused his feet, hands and his feet to be pierced, who's known to be the only son. Anybody got any candidates for that? Okay, there's only one possibility. So yeah, sure. So here have amazing prophecy of both the first and the second coming of Jesus. They're saying that at some time in the last days that the Jewish people are gonna look upon someone who's been pierced, Yeshua, and mourn for him as for an only son. Why would they mourn? They mourn because of the many years in which they haven't believed in him. And they would believe in him in the end of days. Then it says, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. So at the end of days there's going to be a fountain open for sin and uncleanness, which is going to cause the cleansing of the Jewish people as they look upon him and they are pierced upon Yeshua. That's what happens when we believe in Jesus, isn't it? Our sins are forgiven. We're cleansed with the blood of the Lamb. It's all there in the Scriptures. Zechariah chapter 12. One of the amazing Scriptures which tell us that Jesus has to be the Messiah and also what's going to happen when Jesus returns. It goes on in Zechariah to speak about the second coming or the event when the day of the Lord comes. Uh, Jewish rabbis also believe that this is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. It says, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. It says, I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. Verse three, it says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. That day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. So the Bible tells you in the last days there's gonna be a battle over Jerusalem, which is gonna gather the nations together in a physical war. A, a, a battle which will take place. That time it says that someone's going to come and stand on the Mount of Olives. 
tells you who this one is. In fact, if you look in the Hebrew, it says, uses the word Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, uh, uses the strongest word for God. So it says that the Lord, God, is going to come and stand on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. Okay, so if the Lord comes and stands on the Mount of Olives, how does that figure? His feet are going to stand. One of the big problems of Judaism is they say that God cannot appear as a man. He can't come in some sort of human body. Now, I'll put to you, if he comes and he's got feet, I guess he's got the rest of a human body as well. So the Messiah comes in some visible form as a man stands on the Mount of Olives. Interesting. Where did Jesus ascend into heaven from? Mount of Olives. I'm going to come back to the Mount of Olives. Went up in the clouds of heaven. According to Daniel, he comes back in the clouds of heaven in the glory of God. And he stands on the Mount of Olives at the times of the last battle. And then he proclaims peace and justice to the world. Goes on to say that uh, the Lord God, my God, will come, verse 5, and all the saints with him, all the saints with you. So who are the saints? Is it St. Peter and St. Paul and one or two other good guys? Or is it all the people who believe in the Lord? When he comes back, he's going to come back with every person who's believed in Jesus. Those who have been called up to meet him in the rapture of the church who come back with him in new bodies during the millennial kingdom. Goes on to say that there'll be various miracles taking place. Sun will shine for a whole day without going down. Living waters will go up from Jerusalem. And verse 9 it says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord is one and his name one. If you follow through the Bible, the Bible says that this age is not going to end with a nuclear war or with a disaster. It's going to end with the Messiah reigning on the earth for a thousand years. What it says in the Old Testament, what it says in the New Testament, uh, it says that there's going to be a time when God's going to have the last word in human affairs and rule from Jerusalem. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem. He's going to rule from restored Israel. That's why there's all the fuss over Jerusalem. It's not an accident. Satan knows this better than most Christians. <laughs> Uh, and he knows that this is what's going to happen, so his plan is to try to stop it happening. That's why they want to get Israel out of Jerusalem and the Jewish people out of the land. People who want to do this are at war with God, the real God. They may think they're serving Allah, but they're not serving God, they're serving a false God. The true God actually wants the people back in the land, and he wants to bless them in the land, but he wants to bless them in the land through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And all these things are pointing to the second coming of Jesus the Messiah. How long it's going to take, only God knows. How far we are into the program, only God knows. But we're pretty far into it, I think. It's certainly begun. And what this also means is that no matter what comes against Israel, Israel's going to stand. Now, there must be many people in Israel today, and including in the Jewish community here, we're actually very troubled and thinking, well, could Israel actually fall? And if you look at it from human eyes, yes, they could. Uh, but God is going to say, he, God says he's going to keep his people. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. He's going to keep his people in the land. And we should pray for that to happen as well. And it's all relating to what the Bible calls the last days and from Revelation's point of view, the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon, which means the mountain Har Megiddo. Megiddo is a place in the north of Israel where according to uh, 
many commentators, the, the armies of the Antichrist are assembled before they go down to Jerusalem for the last battle. Napoleon once went to the Valley of Megiddo and said all the armies of the world could meet here. Uh, if you go to Megiddo, it's looking out over a huge valley, a very fertile place in the north of Israel. It says there, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Another interesting verse, actually, the river Euphrates is drying up. They're worried about the waters fading in the river Euphrates. Who are the kings of the east? Are they China or what? Well, we'll see. Then it says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're spirits of demons performing signs which go out to gather the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief, blessed is he who watches, he who keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see, they see his shame. They gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. So the New Testament also tells us there's going to be a last battle, going to focus on Israel. It speaks about spirits of demons, speaks about the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet, trinity of evil you have in Revelation 13, gathering together the armies for the last battle. And it calls it Armageddon. It's the same event as Zechariah 14, by the way. How will it end? It will end with the return of Jesus the Messiah. He will come this time not as the suffering servant, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19 says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. He who sat on it, him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and is his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the last phase. Jesus comes back, this time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Comes back riding on a white horse comes back with armies in heaven following him, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. Who are those armies in heaven? They're the believers, those who've died previously and those who've been caught up to meet the Lord in the rapture and who come back with him, uh, riding on white horses, clothed in fine linen. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's your future. Sound good? <laughs> Pretty exciting, eh? That's what's going to happen. And he's going to rule over the nations with the rod of iron. Uh, it won't be a democracy. You won't be able to vote Jesus out of power. He's going to rule the world for a thousand years in which you bring peace and justice to the earth. Fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah, other Hebrew prophets talking about the nations beating swords into plowshares, busy pruning hooks, not studying war anymore. The time of peace and justice, which is coming with the thousand year reign of the Messiah, which is a prelude to the eternal state in which we go to be with the Lord forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Why does it have to be a thousand year reign of the Messiah? Because God has to have the last word in human affairs, not Satan. If it's not this, then Satan has the last word. 
But God has the last word and he shows us what the world should be ruled right. And he rules it from Jerusalem. Zechariah goes on to say about the nations going up to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord, or Isaiah says that to Mount Zion. Zechariah says they go up to the Feast of Tabernacles to hear the word of the Lord. Just finished the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be a very special Feast of Tabernacles when the Lord will spread his word, according to Zechariah chapter 14. Is that a fantasy? Well, I believe it's what God says in his word. What he said in the past has already been fulfilled. Prophecies of the Messiah are all been fulfilled in Jesus. Prophecies of the last days are being fulfilled now. So therefore the unfulfilled prophecies will be fulfilled as well. Which means actually that our God is the true God and he has the last word. He's going to come back and rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you're part of that great King of Kings and Lord of Lords time when he rules over the earth. I'm looking forward to it, I hope you are. And it gives us a hope in the midst of this very dark time in which evil is manifesting itself all around us. And before that Satan is trying to prevent this from happening, that's his goal. He can't do it because he's a defeated foe, but he still has the idea that he might try. And that's why there's all this problem over Israel and Jerusalem. So we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for Israel and pray for the Jewish people that they might recognize Yeshua as the Messiah and that God will keep them in the land and keep them at this present time. And we're going to do that in a moment. So let's just, uh, there's a song which I, the Lord gave me, which I want to just sing to you. Uh, and then we'll have a little bit of time of prayer. Uh, we'll think about these things.